Welcome back, Cough Combined listeners. We're here for episode 82 today, and we have a special guest upon. I'm just going to read across his bio here. So, with close to 20 years' experience in property development, design, and construction, finance, and fund management, we have Brooke Monaghan, the founder and director of Mosaic. Brooke brings a wealth of knowledge to his role as the founder and managing director. Through Mosaic is a fully integrated design-led development and construction business operating predominantly in southeast Queensland. Mosaic is a unique property group with a holistic approach that sees it control the entire development cycle from research and acquisition through detailed design, development, marketing, sales, construction, to managing the asset upon completion. With over 1 billion of projects either delivered, under construction, or in the immediate pipeline, and with more than 110 team members and over 2,000 consultants and subcontractors, Mosaic is a highly regarded and award-winning leader in the industry, contributing significantly to Queensland's economy. Brooke, welcome to the podcast, and thank you very much for giving us your time today. Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Really appreciate the invite, and uh, yeah, grateful to be here, mate. Tony, you've, uh, you're a big fan of Brooks and the work that Mosaic do up in Queensland. Yes, I am a great fan of Brook. And, uh, and there's one thing that you, we didn't mention in that bio, but, you know, Brook loves the land as well. He's got, he lives on 200 acres uh, from Friday and Saturday and Sunday with his family, four kids, wife and four kids. And uh, he's got, well, 50 head of cattle, breed horses and uh, love the land as well. Yeah, Tony, um, thanks for having us on, mate. It's been a, we've been up here for about 15 years. Our, our head office is based in the middle of Brisbane, as you know, and we've got other major regional offices on the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast, but very grateful, mate, to be able to have the opportunity to raise our kids in a similar environment to that which I grew up in, um, in a you know, beautiful rural community up here in the Sunshine Coast inland. Very special part of the world. It is. It is a sensational part of the world. But let's have a look at a couple of other things from Mosaic at a glance as well. So you've, you've actually had 16 years of operation. You've completed 51 projects since 2014 alone. So just the last six years. Uh, you've got a total porf, uh, property portfolio value of $1.2 billion. You are definitely multi-award winning. Uh, you'd have to have a massive award to be able to put all your awards up there, Brooke. Um, <laughs> you've got 100% settlement success rate. You're a unique end-to-end business model, as Jamie mentioned. And you've basically got a zero vacancy rate across your entire rental portfolio, which is, from our perspective, as financial planners, when we're talking to clients who and clients who want property, we've always said that, don't necessarily just look within your own postcode. You have to look at areas that are going to uh, move for that uh, capital growth, and you want air, and you want properties that are going to rent out at good rental yields. And you know, Mosaic do tick the box in every part there. Yeah, thanks, Tony. I think it's you know an understanding over a long period of time, and you're obviously well aware of this, and and it's why you drive um, very clear criteria in your conversations with the clients. Um, you know, we only deal, as you know. Tony and Jamie with very select partners around the country. We've built some really good relationships over time. And I think the common values, which is always aligned, those key partners that refer their clients to Mosaic is always putting the client first and understanding what are the drivers over, you know, a medium to longer term time view that actually drive value for clients. And that, that's a combination of yield and obviously capital growth. And to understand that, you need to understand, you know, where the demand is driven in key markets and what's going to continue to support that demand long into the future. And so, you know, the obvious stuff is, you know, people uh, want to live close to where um, all of the amenity is, and that amenity is schools, it's transports, it's shopping centres, it's lifestyle, it's sporting, recreation, transport, close to work, close to friends. Um, you know, our lives are busier than they've ever been at any point in history. Um, we jam more into them. You know, this 
you know, recent COVID experience and particularly for the, the people of Melbourne that have, that have obviously suffered a lot more than the rest of Australia. I think it's been a time to really reflect around what is important. And if I look at how that plays out here in our own core markets across Southeast Queensland, I think more and more people are starting to question what's important to them. And what's important to them is uh, time um, that they can get back for their health, for their family, for their social life, um, and to balance that as best they can with their work commitments. And to do that, that will have an impact on, on housing choice. And, and those areas where we develop, and particularly in Queensland, where planning restrictions make it far more challenging to, to build density further out. Um, we're, we're always connected to water, and that's either beachfront or riverfront in our coastal markets. So it's very difficult to find opportunities to replicate what we do. So massive barriers to entry in that market. And then in Brisbane, you know, that two to five K radius for us, which is the sweet spot, the highly affluent suburbs where, where all the amenity is um, and where you've got a diverse range of different demographic, um, different demographics living in those in that part of Brisbane, but really challenging to build density in those markets. So a lot of protection of character housing, a lot of protection of view corridors, um, but lots of infrastructure. So growing population base, but not the ability to be able to meet that demand and being very specific about developing in those regions means that our clients know that that future supply will not be able to keep up with the demand inside this market. And so because of that, and because of how highly selective those locations are, they're one of the key things that drive both growth in rents over time for those people that do buy for investment purposes and aren't living in as owner occupiers, uh, and also obviously drive future capital growth on the resale. Well, can I ask a question there? You know, and as long as Melburnians aren't planning on going and moving to Brisbane because you stole our grand final, you're only allowed that for one year, mate. So <laughs> it's, uh... We're well aware, mate, that we've got to give it back. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's hard to give it back when you've already experienced it once. But um, just, just on that basis, I mean, I've been in this industry 28 years ago now and, and Queensland uh, was predominantly known as it had a capital city called Brisbane and that was about it, or anyone knew of Brisbane but otherwise it was a case of it was a place where you went to holiday uh, or it was a place where you went to retire. Uh, so the idea of actually having a career and, you know, the, the financial services hubs were Sydney and Melbourne and that has changed massively over the last decade, especially the the infrastructure spend in Brisbane alone and the way that city has grown, it is a financial services and legal hub in its own right now. Uh, so you do get a lot of professionals. Uh, it's not just going and the professional government uh, wave testers, as we call them, the kids on the dole surfing all day. But it was, uh, but basically it's a case of Brisbane has become the major uh, one of the major cities in Australia rather than just Queensland as a holiday or downsizer destination. And I think that's one of the exceptional parts is you guys have been around, you know, for 16 years, but you've been actually part of that growth and the huge uh, demographic shift to their major cities. Yeah, absolutely, Tony. I think the perception for a lot of um, my Melbourneian mates over time is that we only just stopped riding horses to, to work and school about three or four years ago here in Brisbane. So, uh, it has had that reputation from some of our um, our older uh, brothers, if you like, and sisters in uh, in Sydney and Melbourne, that that Brisbane was a, a bit more of a laid back country sort of a, a city or a town. And for in many respects, back in the eighties and nineties, that was definitely the case. I think the great thing about Melbourne, and you, you highlight it really well, is that um, you know Brisbane has developed into a genuine world class city in this last ten years. Like we don't we don't go without anything that Melbournians get to experience, whether that be what's happened with the development of the cultural precincts here in, in Queensland, obviously um, sport. You know, we've seen how 
you know, Brisbane's been absolutely critical, not just because of how we've dealt with the virus, but been critical to the NFL, uh, the I, I, the ARL and the AFL being able to to manage their way through this recent period, right? Like without without Queensland, you can see the supporting base of people going to watch sport in this city is not dissimilar to what you experience in Melbourne. Absolutely, so cultural yeah. and, and sporting perspective, mate. You know, we and then also the development of our, you know, the connection to our, our cafe, cafe, restaurant, social. Um, experience here in Brisbane has evolved substantially since I first moved to Brisbane to go to university 25 years ago. Like it's a different, it's a different city, but it hasn't lost that the country feel um, that Brisbane had in terms of it is, it is, it's got a vibe that, that feels more friendly mate, up here in my experience. I've done a lot of business around the world and certainly a lot of business in Sydney and Melbourne. So the great thing about it, it hasn't lost that vibe and feel of how people relate to each other, but um, we don't go without now. And I think that's the key thing that's changed in the last 10 years. And, and a lot of that's been driven by, by major infrastructure projects at both the state and local government. Um, but it's the private investment that's followed that's seen Brisbane um, really change and strong connection to the river and also with the bookends at both the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. But I think to add to that, um, you know, Brooke, when, if I think of the financial services industry, say in the mid to late nineties, and let's say, for example, if you're based in Sydney or based in Melbourne on a, you know, a hundred thousand dollar income, as an example, if you had that same job uh, in Brisbane, you would have been on a $75,000 income uh, virtually for the same job, you know, 75, maybe $80,000 income for that same job. Nowadays, uh, the roles in the likes of Brisbane in financial services are uh, more, in, more highly in demand uh, than what they are necessarily in Melbourne and Sydney. The wage is the same, if not slightly more, but the only difference is, is you spend a million dollars on a property in Sydney and you've got 90 minutes travel to work. Uh, you spend a million dollars on a property, say in that 7K radius outside of Brisbane, you got an absolutely sensational, beautiful house with a jacaranda tree because uh, they're everywhere around there in the, in the front or backyard. Or as Anthony said, it looks beautiful until all the purple leaves fall into his swimming pool. Uh, <laughs> so it's, um, and then, you know, you've, you've, but you're 15 minutes away from the office at the same time. So your quality of life is genuinely magnificent. Yeah, absolutely, man. We saw for, you know, Southeast Queensland was always known for being the biggest net beneficiary of interstate migration for the two or three decades in the late, um, you know, sort of 1980s, 90s, in the first part of um, the 21st century, so in early 2000. I think sort of in that period around GFC through to 2018, for about 10 or 12 years, we lost that mantle. And I think that's because the infrastructure and the job creation piece that was happening in both Sydney and Melbourne, and probably even more so Melbourne, um, substantially um, outweighed on a per capita basis what was happening here in Queensland. So we lost that mantle, if you like, as the, as the biggest net beneficiary. So more people are actually moving um, on an aggregate basis from overseas in the state to the southern states. And it's the first time we'd experienced that. And I think it was a really big wake-up call for Queensland. And, and obviously with the Newman government in the short time that they were here, this massive drive to understanding that if you don't have major infrastructure projects around transport, cultural, sporting precincts, education, so both schools uh, and universities, and then major projects, you know, you look at what's happening right now in South East Queensland, you've had an upgrade to all three airports, Sunshine Coast, Brisbane, Gold Coast, two brand new private and public hospitals were just built on both the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. That's the first time in Australia that that's happened inside 30 years. You know, the one on the Sunshine Coast with only sort of 350,000 people, that's just created 7,500 permanent full-time jobs. And the university hospital there is now one of the most highly regarded uh, in terms of medicine training in the country. Um, and with the most state-of-the-art facilities. That just wouldn't have happened in Brisbane 15 years ago. So I think 
Um, from a technology-based perspective, and you spoke about that in the job creation, health's another really big one that Queensland's leading the way on. So we, we always have been an enviable lifestyle. People know that we've got the most beautiful beaches in the world. We've obviously got a very enviable climate compared to the southern states. Uh, and we've got more space, so less time commuting, uh, and you've got you know, the ability to travel north or south to these beaches on a weekend that's you know, less than an hour away if you're in the middle of Brisbane. Um, but if you don't create jobs, then, then people come, can't come up here and enjoy that lifestyle and buy the real estate. So you're right, mate, uh, you know, being 30 to 40% more affordable in our real estate um, and having less time to commute and greater lifestyle attributes without sacrificing the benefits of living in a major capital city like Sydney and Melbourne, um, that, that only really comes into to play once we start to create um, high-paying jobs. And, and that's what we've seen really shift in in Queensland over the last five years. And that's off the back of the major infrastructure that's underway. So the private investment here is the greatest that we've seen certainly since I've been alive, but it's the greatest if you look back since Queensland, um, you know, since post-World War II, if you look at it on a pure per capita basis, we've never seen the alignment of public and private investment um, into major public and private projects at the same time. And that obviously has massive flow and impact to job creation. You start to create jobs, then people can move up here for all of those benefits, but also knowing that they can move their entire family up here at a younger age, knowing that the entire education piece all the way through to secondary school, high school, and then their first job um, is now really possible up here in southeast Queensland, rather than coming here later in your working life. And I think I think that's one of the keys, though, Brooke, is that the net migration that you saw to Queensland um, in the certainly in the 80s and 90s, it was the people who were moving to the Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast retiring. Uh, so a, a lot of Victorians would would retire to the warmer climate, basically. Uh, so and and you know it was a case of sell your your large inner city house here for a fortune and spend you know a third of it uh, to buy a beautiful place in Queensland. But it's interesting that it's obviously as we've just touched on, it's not just the downsizers, it's not even just families anymore. It is the young professionals and. The young professionals nowadays, people up until the age of realistically even, you know, 40, um, but a lot of them aren't necessarily interested in buying that, um, the quarter acre block anymore. You know, the, the Queenslander on the stilts, uh, but the, the quarter acre block and the kids mowing the lawns with the hills hoist out the back, they basically want the areas they live in in the house as an apartment, being the bedroom, the kitchen, uh, the balcony, etc., and have all the other amenities actually within that apartment, but they're not interested in all the other stuff because they go out now. Um, so, and I think that's one of been a real key attraction of your projects is people buy them, they want to live in them. They don't just want to buy them to rent out. Oh, 100%. And we've always, and you know this, I've had, a, I've always been very vocal about this for a long period of time, is that, you know, this, I, in the past, I've had, you know, people have, have asked the question of Mosaic, of me, you know, do you guys build, you know, investment grade product, run or occupier based product? And I don't even understand that phenomenon, to be frank, mate. I know that there's, there was a lot of rubbish built in all capital cities in the previous boom that was centred around selling um, to people, you know, sight unseen on, you know, based on some sort of yield or rental formula. Um, but when, when that product is not built with a local market in mind, then my view is always that it's going to underperform over a long period of time, even if the rents are stable um, to meet growing population growth, just simply because the secondary sale, if the product's not built for the local market, the secondary sale can only ever sell to another investor. And so we've only ever built product for owner-occupiers, you know, well over 60% of our sales are direct to Mosaic. Uh, and those people live in our buildings. Some buildings are, you know, 100%. And, and, you know, those price points can be, you know, a two-bedroom unit in a project three Ks from Brisbane for, 
you know, 580,000 all the way up to, you know, penthouses, um, you know, overlooking the CBD or the river or overlooking the beach on the Sunshine and Gold Coast for six or eight million, right? So that's the spectrum of people that we now deal with inside our buildings. And I think the things that it doesn't change regardless of who it is that you're actually dealing with. So you can be dealing with a wealthy owner-occupier that might want to move to the coast more permanently and they want a large four-floor penthouse of 500 square metres. They want permanent views of the beach and the water. They want amenity like a five- to six-star hotel. They want on-site management and concierge like they are away on holidays, but they want the quiet enjoyment of owner-occupier-style apartment complexes and not holiday-let. Um, so we provide all of that for that type of clientele, but there's also people living in those buildings that have bought a really large and functional and luxury two-bedroom product for $620,000. That's and right, and, and, they've got, and they've got their 25-metre swimming pool, full, full-size functional gymnasium, and concierge and everything uh, else, as you're saying. Yeah. They're living in a hotel without the downside of having to deal with short-term stay. And, so, so, and, and, and that's a really good example. Like we take that young professional couple, whether it's in Brisbane or it's on the coast, and take the Gold Coast, for example, but this is the same across all three of our core markets. They can go and buy an entry-level house and land package, you know, at Mudry Bar and Narang or further west on the Gold Coast that's 40 minutes from, you know, Broadbeach or, you know, the centre of the, of, of the Gold Coast. And they can go and do that for six hundred and fifty dollars or $660,000. Uh, they can have the 400 square metre backyard and the entry-level house and land package in an area that's got mixed um, people, so investors and owner-occupier in sort of housing-type estates that are, you know, common across all capital cities. Well, they can take that same amount of money and go and buy a large functional two-bedroom apartment that's like living in a hotel where they haven't actually given up or sacrificed anything, where they've got no travel time and they've got everything at their disposal. So they can leave their car parked on a weekend. They can walk to the city. They can walk to the beach. They can go to, you know, dozens of different coffee shops and restaurants and catch up with their friends. They can go to multiple local gyms, multiple local shopping centres, and they don't even have to get in a car. So if you're a young couple these days, and, you want to, and you've got $650,000 to spend, people are really starting to question, where is the best value for me? And that's why we know in those areas where we're developing those projects, you can't just go and develop another one of the projects that we've put together right next door to it tomorrow, because it might have taken us four years to bring together a series of different owners and to work with council and the community to create that project. So we know that supply is constrained because there's actually very few opportunities to develop those type of projects. And then when you get the formula right, around value. So functionality, design, luxury, finishes, quality, amenity, management. So looking after those buildings for your clients. And, and we're one of, and as you're aware, that one of the only private developers that you know, gives a 25-year commitment post-completion. We, we never sell caretaking, letting or management rights because our commitment is enduring value for life for our clients. And so our clients can have the confidence, they can buy into that building. And then guess what? If they love that project, then in seven or eight or nine years time, they might have a couple of kids. They might upgrade to a three bedroom product in the same building if there's a resale. And not that yeah. there's many of them. Like one of the things that we, we've found is that, you know, look at the last sort of 1400 properties that Mosaic's delivered. Um, and you, know, you gotta remember we're a boutique developer. So with the average size, somewhere between 20 and say 120 in a project, you know, to have 14 or 1500, it's a lot of projects, mate. But what, you know, we've, we've got the amount of resales over, over the last decade, you can count on, sort of two hands. So, yeah. so maybe there's 20 resales in 10 years across 1,400 properties, which means that people actually love living in this product. And that's the thing that's going to drive growth in rents for those that have got bought as an investment. And certainly it is what's going to drive growth in capital value over time when you eventually do go and test the market on a secondary sale basis. And I think, Brooke, to add to that, and, you know, a real life example, one of our clients who's actually an industry colleague as well, but he's also a client of mine, we've... Uh, 
negotiated to buy his business uh, next year in retirement, uh, where half of his clients are up in Brisbane, uh, half of them down here in Melbourne. And he's actually bought into your Mermaid Beach development because that's where he's retiring to. So he's got his two, he's, he's single, he's got his two bedroom apartment here. And the, the big thing for him was, is can he have his dog there? And I said, well, they've actually made a dog bath. Uh, as part of the complex. So, so he, he's 150, he can't believe it. He's 150 metres from Mermaid Beach. Um, he's got his place, his dream where he wants to retire. He's got his own swim pool. He does keep fit and healthy for a 65 year old, extremely healthy. Uh, he swims every day, runs every day. He wants to go down to the beach with his dog. And that's his, that's his retirement lifestyle. So even though, I mean, he, he was a Melbourne slash Queensland guy anyway, but he's looked at that and said, there's my entire retirement. I don't have to worry about anything. Um, you know, we're and, seeing that a lot, Tony. We're, we're yeah. seeing a lot of people that are going um, in, in Brisbane and, and the coast markets. The coast markets are, are, are pretty obvious because, you know, people uh, have the notion, a lot of people have the notion that they want to retire closer to, to the water, whether that be salt or whether that be fresh water. Uh, and so we get that, but it also applies to a Brisbane product where people are going, you know, where do I want to live in 15 years from now? And they can see how much Brisbane and South East Queensland has changed in the last sort of five to 10 years. And, and when there's not that much product available, you've got to remember we're three and a half years past peak supply, whereas Melbourne hit peak supply from the last cycle in the first quarter of this year. Sydney was last quarter last year. So there's very, very little high quality supply in South East Queensland. And it's really difficult to bring that supply on given planning constraints um, but also what happened off the back of the Royal Bank Commission and now what we're seeing with COVID. So there's a real challenge in, in Queensland over the next two years. And it's why you're seeing our property market uh, was unimpacted during COVID. Uh, we're, we're basically flat through that period. The last three months we've had growth uh, in prices. Um, our, our September this year was the biggest month that we've had in the history of Mosaic in terms of number of new contracts and the average dollar price sale. And I can tell you now that it's people's looking forward to the future because we most people are... Our view is that most people are really well educated these days. They've got access to a lot of information. Um, they can do their own research. And if they're connected to a, an advisor like Coffin Bond, where they can actually get really good intel into who are the best people on the ground in local markets, then they can say, well, hold on. And this market is going to move over the next three to five years. You know, look at where the prices of real estate is, really high value real estate is in Southeast Queensland compared to city in Melbourne. You look at the infrastructure overlay and the job creation piece. You look at the lifestyle piece. You look at how we've dealt with the virus and how we're recovering at the other side and the amount of people that are going, you know what, um, I think I want to I want to change, particularly Victorians thinking about moving north. And they're going, well, but if I wait two or three years before I actually make that decision, I'm going to miss this cycle. And, and that's why we are seeing the biggest period in terms of new inquiry that we've seen in our history, even though it's been a COVID year. And that is simply because the market's smart enough to see what's happening. And they know if, they can, if I can buy a property now that's going to be built in two years' time, then even if I'm not ready to move in and retire at that point, I know that it's going to give me a great investment return until I am actually ready to move in and retire. And I think one, one of the things I want to add to that, and which has always been really attracted, uh, well, what attracted us to you guys as well, is that, you know, unlike, a, unlike the vast majority of other developers is, you know, you, you might be a developer and you might try to screw the builder down to as much as possible. And then basically you're just burning uh, builders or construction companies here because they do a big project for you and they don't want to deal with you again. It was just, you know, it was just so, so much hard work. And, you know, we, we've seen one here in Melbourne who I think in his last five projects has used five completely different builders. And, you know, one of the large construction companies here, I know the director said he'll price himself out of any quote uh, for that because uh, he doesn't want that business. <laughs> so it's, uh, 
but you guys actually have the entire process. You run everything yourselves. You've got your own. So your, your quality of what you have is magnificent, but you run that yourself. You've got your own construction. You, you're the developers. You do the negotiations. You've got um, the only thing you're not is you're not your own bank. Uh, but basically, it's a case of everything from start to process, including leasing, including releasing, including sales. Absolutely everything is done by you guys, which from, from our perspective, I think is great because your end product is always magnificent and you've got a vested interest for it to be because it's your reputation on the line too. You, yeah, can't, you can't blame a construction company for, for a bad job. Yeah, no, and the point that you raise is very similar to how you run your business, Tony, and it's, and it's why there's strong alignment between us is is that when there are strong alignments of core values, and we spoke about that earlier, um, then the the client's interests are always at heart. So from our perspective, it would be a lot simpler, and it's why most other developers don't do what we do, to, to have a smaller staff base and to outsource everything. Because we abdicate the risk to a third party, but we try and maximise the benefit for us. So if we were in the business of just making money, you would not set up a development business the way we set up Mosaic. So, you know, we have 110 full-time staff because that's what it takes to deliver on every single part of that process. It's how we're vertically integrated. Um, but outside of that, we've got, we've got about 2,000 people that are critically reliant on our business, either for their main source of income or predominant source of income outside our 110 full-time staff. And, and we love the community we've created as a result of that because everyone's interests are aligned. And that is that if we don't do the right thing by the projects, by the brand, which is by the client, then none of us have the opportunity to turn up tomorrow to earn the right to do business again. So our view is this, is that the only way that we can deliver on the promises that we make, because ultimately when you're a developer who sells product off, off the plan, and you know, for us, we've never in an entire history, we haven't had stock available at completion. So one of the things that we're really proud of is that we've been sold out of every project that we've ever delivered in our entire history, and we've never failed to deliver on a project. But that doesn't happen if the people that have lived in your buildings previously haven't had a really good experience, because the bulk of our buyers come from people that know somebody else who live in a mosaic building as a renter or an owner, or it is existing clients buying again or referring their family and friends. And that doesn't happen if everything's not invested back in the brand, because we don't want to get to the end of a project and be in a blue with a builder. So the builders now, because of the margins, is cutting corners because he realises he's losing money. The developer's driving him to get the project completed. That is not in the best interest of the people that are going to own that product or the people that's going to live in it. So we don't run, we don't build for anybody else. We don't do anything else for anybody else. All of those business entities from design all the way through to sales, marketing, development, construction, and then 25 year asset management, looking after every single building that we've got is based on the only way that we can deliver on the promises we've made to our clients is to control every part of that process because we will never ever blame anyone else because there's no one else involved in that process. So we do everything and we only do everything for us and for no one else. So there's no conflict that we go and build for another developer or we sell for another developer. Everything we do is for the Mosaic brand and for the long-term benefit of our clients. And ultimately what that results in is people that love living in our buildings that want to buy from us again. And so that's, can I just ask a question on that as well? And one thing I think that really highlights you guys is, you know, your target market and you've decided to stay in that Southeast of Queensland instead of sort of branching out and you see people go to all different sort of where they find land, they go to develop really. But what's, what's been the decision behind just keeping to Southeast Queensland? That's a really great question, Jane, because we, um, we've been in Southeast Queensland the entire time. Obviously, we're pretty passionate about this reason. It's where we, you know, we live and we raise our families. And, you know, I, I had a view back in sort of 2013, 14, that we thought that Queensland would underperform Melbourne and Sydney in the last cycle. And, and I very openly stated that at the time. 
and just simply because there wasn't enough infrastructure and private investment that was creating long-term jobs and giving people a reason to move here other than the lifestyle. Um, but we're also pretty vocal for suggesting that out the other side of this crisis, and, and we were had a view on that last year, the year before, and even early on in the pandemic in our research that we sort of send industry-wide, that uh, you know, Southeast Queensland is as best place as it's ever been um, to lead the next cycle. And if you look at all the key drivers, um, they're, well, they're well and truly entrenched now. And if anything, it's been accentuated by the unfortunate experience of COVID. So mate, we take a long-term view as the point. Like, yeah, it would have been easy to go, look, back in 2012, we could see that Melbourne and Sydney was going to have a better run. But we're not trying to chase the highest profitability incremental growth for our business. We're passionate about this area because that's where we live, it's where our staff live, and it's where we raise our families. So we go, well, this is the area we love. And over time, we want to continue to respond to changes in market demand. And that's by listening to the clients who already live in our existing buildings and trying to anticipate where those trends are evolving to across the different demographic groups. So for us, we get to do that by knowing a market really well. We don't pretend to know the market in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, you know, we've looked at providing different product type in the past. And even that, Jamie, like, you know, we, we know that we can't be the best house and land developer and the best townhouse developer and the best boutique luxury apartment developer. So we don't try and be because it's like we go, okay, where do we know that people really want to live? And how's that going to, and is that likely to um, continue to grow as we look forward over the next 10 to 15 years? Uh, and we know there's massive barriers to entry. So if we can be the best in that place and continue to, in those places, those locations, and continue to evolve what we deliver from a design, quality, amenity, finishes, functionality, um, long-term, um, I guess, value protection of these assets. So not just beautiful buildings that look cool on a brochure, they're buildings that in 15 years we're going to drive past and they're going to make sense um, relative to the local vernacular of that particular area. So I think the challenge for us is that it takes a lot to be really good where we are. So we can't afford to be distracted by trying to be all things to all people. And that includes moving into other markets. We just want to be the best where we've been established now from 16 years. And my view is that we've got a long way to go. You know, we're really proud of where Mosaic is at now and, and the many projects we're delivering across Southeast Queensland. But our view is we, we also um, will need to continue to improve on a daily basis if we're going to continue to be the best in five to 10 years from now. And there's massive opportunity in Southeast Queensland over this next decade. Look, there's a couple of things I want to add to that. You know, for a lot of our clients who are listening to this, they're SME owners, uh, successful SME owners, good businesses, good profitable businesses. But you touched on something which I think is what makes you one of the standout great companies. And I'm not just talking about in building. Uh, I'm not just uh, pumping up uh, what you guys do. But, you know, to be a great, to be a great company, which you, Mosaic certainly is, you actually have to be very focused. You're very focused. There's no doubting that you can hear the passion come out. And this isn't just you. This is speaking to Trina or to Anthony or to anyone else in your team uh, that you speak to as well. That passion and commitment comes through from every single one of your people. So the culture that is actually being built as part of the Mosaic brand too is absolutely exceptional. So when you've got that great focus, that unbelievable commitment and great culture that you've built within the organization, and then lastly, you actually produce the great product. It's really hard not to be the greatest in what you do. And I think that's where you guys, from our perspective and why uh, we happily refer our clients up to you guys, uh, is based on all of those three commitments to actually looking after your, your end result being the client. And mate, yeah, and I really appreciate that, Tony. It's, it's not lost to me. Like, you know, we're a business whereby uh, 
you know, that our group of people, it's a, it's a really special group of people. I know that um, um, we talk about this a bit too, Tony, with regards to your own culture and team. Uh, for us, it's not the easiest place in the world to work at um, Mosaic, and we don't apologise for that. Um, but one thing I do say is that, you know, if you, if you really love property uh, and you understand how important that is to uh, the communities we're developing and for the people who live in our buildings, like we, you know, it's a really simple business. And I don't, I don't think that's ever been lost on us. Like, at the end of the day, it's a simple business in that what we do is really important for people. It's not just where they live. It's where they socialise. It's where they create memories. It's where they raise families. For a lot of people, it's where they also you know, work from now, even if it's for part of the time. Um, so, you know, the, the housing bit, we love that it's tangible and it's real and it has a really important um, part to play in people's lives and the communities where these buildings are actually built because there's massive disruption involved in the industry. So we go, well, now that we understand that, um, what are the things that make um, the footprint we leave in terms of the impact in the community, but then the impact we leave on the people who live in the buildings, so those mini communities within the communities, what are the simple things that drive better outcomes so people will enjoy living in those buildings? Because it's all about what's the experience, not what creates a, a prettier looking building uh, on a brochure to support our brand or, you know, because we can say we've won a whole heap of awards. You know, awards for us are a byproduct of the hard, hard work and effort of our passionate and committed team. Um, outside of that, we don't, you know, we don't really care for them, to be frank, mate. The only measure that's important is... Um, do we support well and give back to the communities that give us the right to develop there in the first place? And do the people that live in our buildings, can they say that we've done everything that we said we would do and some and continue to look after and nurture those relationships and those buildings long into the future? And if we can achieve that, then we know that we'll never have to worry about the next person buying into our new project or the, or the project we're going to release in three years from now. So we just go, we know what we're going to do and whatever success we've had up until this point in time, is actually irrelevant. All it's done is give us the right to turn up tomorrow and open our doors again. But if we don't continue to get better and to invest in product relationships, design trends, understanding the people that we are selling to, understanding um, how uh, changes in living requirements are evolving over time, if we can't meet that and we can't do it um, better than everybody else by controlling every part of that process, then um, our previous success won't determine our future success. So, mate, we just keep it really simple. Um, you know, humility, hard work, um, consistency are at the core of everything we do here and it's across every single person you deal with at Mosaic. So, mate, we're out of everything, that's what we're most proud of is that we just keep it really simple and we turn up each and every day trying to earn the right to be able to, to, be able to do it again um, all over again the next day. Yeah, so just in closing, Brooke, I just want to say that your success is not just for you guys and for all of your staff. Your success is for your clients uh, because you have a magnificent product, which means the clients have a magnificent financial future in those products as well by actually owning them, living in them, or having them as investments uh, in their own right as well. And as I started with, you know, I don't think you're doing a proper job for your clients in financial planning if they turn around. And unfortunately, this is our industry. If they turn around and say, listen, I do want a, pro I do want a property and we're trying to convince them to go into shares or a managed fund, you know, because that's the only way we get paid. We're more than happy to refer them to you guys. And, you know, the, you know, you couldn't be more sensational in respect to the end result they get too. So, uh, Brooke, I personally want to thank you because I know you're one of the busiest men um, in South East Queensland right now. <laughs> so I, I want to absolutely personally thank you for taking the time to speak with us and to our clients today as well. And I will, t I will finish on this note and Jamie will chime in as well. But we did have a colleague of ours over from uh, Chicago. 
a couple of years ago. We stayed in one of your penthouses up there in Brisbane. Uh, Anthony took us out for a nice Greek feed up in Fortitude Valley and uh, stayed in the penthouse and he rang his wife that night uh, on video phone have a look at this. We're moving. Uh, so we're leaving this, Chicago. This weather, moving this weather is a lot nicer. This weather is a lot nicer <laughs> than Chicago. Look at my views. We are coming here. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, we're coming to, we're coming and we're moving to Brisbane. So it was uh, mate, it's a really good example, Tony. Like that, they're the human stories. They're the people stories that, that are our business, right? Like yeah, we know that everything that we do is for that. And we spoke, you know, you, you mentioned it before, mate. And once again, appreciate both Jamie uh, and you invited me on today to have a chat. We, we love what you guys are about because you put your clients first. Um, and, you know, you're very particular about who you deal with. And, and I respect that a lot, just as, as we are the same um, in understanding the other partners we deal with. But if people don't love um, living in our buildings, money, they don't make money out of it. Um, out the other end, we haven't done our job and we wouldn't expect um, uh, you to at any point in time uh, refer your clients to us because, mate, if we can't look after your clients and we can't look after your business, um, we don't have a brand. So, mate, we're really grateful um, for that. Uh, always happy to give up our time because it's not lost on us what you build in your own brand and the great job you do with your clients. So it's a real pleasure for us to be involved with your business. Brooke, Wonderful. thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks really appreciate your time. Fun.